0: beautiful that's it thank you so much what a story oh my gosh
1: yeah it's amazing it's uh, so
0: um, amazing
1: yeah it really is I mean literally I came from the very bottom of like life to to this I'm I'm living in my dream it's like I can't believe it you know um it's completely transformed my life it's been a lot of hard work but you know
0: Hi, I'm Talia, and welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, and relationships. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, I am super excited to bring a guest. His name is David Gatto and he's from Pennsylvania. And I wanted to bring him on here because I met David through a Facebook group a fair few years ago. Um, when I was working for a company that helps tradies. So in Australia, we call them tradies, but in America, I guess you call them contractors or people who work on in construction and that kind of work. And David did a really great marketing tactic, which we will talk about in this episode. But I I wanted to, to interview David because he has such an amazing story. Um, he, he came out of prison at age 33 and he was, um, let out of prison at 12 o'clock at night, had nothing, no phone, no, no food, no, nowhere to go, no family, no support. And he ended up sleeping in a cemetery for a while. And he'll tell the rest of the story in the episode. Uh, He's 41 now, and he has a multimillion dollar company. uh, And he'll talk about that. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because, of his absolute pure grit and resolve to build this company even when people were laughing at him and telling him he couldn't do it through relationship building and through just absolute resilience this man has is a literal rags to riches story and I just I needed I wanted to bring some inspiration to to you guys and to myself um because we've had some some pretty dark couple of years and uh and, and yeah, I really love this story. I love this episode. Um, so without further ado, thank you so much for being here, David Ghetto. I'm really, really excited to speak to you about your story. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are today and just a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. So um, let me just tell you where I'm, where I'm at today, uh, where I'm at today, I'm living in my dream home. I'm living with my beautiful wife. I have four amazing children I have a multi-million dollar life's really good. Life's really good. We have everything that we need in abundance. And how how I got here, it was by starting my company, um, which led to all this stuff. It was one day I was just, you know, in the mirror, brushing my hair, getting ready for my regular nine to five job. And I got the thought that, you know, I could start a business, that I should start a business. And it started from there. And once I got the thought, the thought became obsessive. That's all I was thinking about is how am I going to start a business? What's it going to be? How am I going to get it off the ground? And, and that's where it really, when I had told my bosses that, you know, I was given my two weeks notice that I was going to start my own business, that decision right there changed my whole entire life and put me in the position that I'm in today.
0: Okay. So what, like, what prompted that thought? Why did you want to start your own business?
1: I don't know. It's just the thought came out of nowhere. It's really, I mean, um, I had never had a company before. I didn't go to school for business. I had no education in business. And, you know, the thought just occurred to me and said, hey, you know, you can start a business It said, why are, is anybody else different than you? that they have multi-million dollar successful businesses. They're living the lives that they want to live. They have financial freedom. I said, what's separating you from them? And I thought to myself, I said, the only thing that's separating me from them is my perspective, is my thoughts about myself. And there was no fear going into this thing. Um, For me, it was like, it's a do or die thing. Like when I made the decision, that was it. Like I'm an all in or all out kind of guy. So you know, if I'm not going all in on something, I won't go in on it. So when I made that decision, I said, whatever happens, if I die in this whole process, I'm going to, whatever I have to do to make this happen, I'm going to make it happen. You know, I went in, I gave my two weeks notice and and it, it was funny because all the big bosses were sitting in the office and here I come. And I was a really good worker because I do the best that I can, no matter what, no matter where I'm at, no matter what my job is, I'm going to do it hundred percent to my ability. And I said, "Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, I'm giving you guys by two weeks' notice. I'm going out and starting my own business." And the first thing that they did is, is everybody laughed in the room. And and then you know, once they all got done laughing, they all looked at me and they're like, "Are you serious?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So once they knew I was serious, they offered me a raise, which was like, I don't know, it's not crazy. It was like a dollar, maybe even less than that. And you know, I just I made my mind up. I said, "I'm going." And I actually left sooner than that. But I left on really good terms with the company. They actually filled out a form and a contract that said I'd be able to return. So I left on good terms, and out I went to start my own business. I might have had maybe two or three hundred dollars in my bank account at that time. I had no driver's license, no truck. I was running back and forth to work in the morning, and my plan was to just you know I had a piece of paper that I typed up my services on that things that I felt like I knew that I could do like cleaning gutters or, or, you know, mowing lawns or cleaning windows in the houses or raking up or fall cleanups, things like that. And I just went door to door, knocking on people's door and talking to them.
0: So let's, so let's talk about, so when you had this idea, did you know what type of business you wanted to start or you just wanted to start any business?
1: Yeah, I had no idea. I don't really have any type of construction skills or anything that I thought that I was really good
0: at you knew it was going to be in that kind of vein, like a construction, some sort of handyman or some sort of building niche. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at first the vision was small,
1: you know, because I really didn't know what business was. I didn't really know what the potential was. So I just imagined myself with the contractor that was going to be in a truck that was going out and doing his jobs so with a helper. That's what I imagined at first. So that's what I went off. Now, as far as like specific trade, I, I didn't know. And In doing that, I found my niche. I found my specific trade that I was going to do. So I'm going around and I'm knocking doors and I'm selling jobs. And eventually somebody said, hey, Dave, can you put a fence up? And I said, sure, because I couldn't pick and choose what I did. They could ask me if I knew how to split an atom. I would have said, yes, I I could split an atom for you. You know, whatever it was, I was out there. I was going to get it. I was going to figure it out. I was going to do it. Nothing was going to stop me. So they say, yeah, you got the job. I give them a price. And so I'm YouTubing this fence like the day before i do it and it's not making a whole lot of sense to me it was a big vinyl fence around a property it was a big job and so i get out there thinking okay i'm going to be able to you know figure this thing out i'm going to have time to think about it we'll just get it done i'll take my time and so i go out to my first house and you know my first fence job and like the whole family is out there like they made an the event out of this they, they invited their friends over their relatives or Everybody was there and all eyes were on me, either outside barbecuing or talking to me, talking to me, asking me questions about the fence. And I have no clue what's <laughs> happening here. There's all these parts falling out of there, taking out of a package and like, what's this for? And I'm like, you know, making things up. And, um, you know, oh I actually goodness. went back to my truck and had to sit in there and watch more videos. So anyways, I get this fence up. It takes a lot longer than I thought, but I made, a, I made a really nice profit on it. You know, so I said, hey, there's money in this. You know, So I started pursuing just fences, vinyl fences, wood fences, aluminum fences, chain link, ornamental, whatever kind of fence. If somebody had a new fence job and said, hey, Dave, can you put up some high tensile horse wire? I would start to research that. My first job would be kind of slow as I was figuring it out. But then I would become good at that. And let me tell you something. I became an expert in fencing because I got the jobs that nobody else would take you know, and, and, you know, I would get done doing these jobs. They would be extraordinarily hard. They would be through the woods, up the side of mountains in the city where there is hardly any space to move around back there, or get equipment back there. And so I really became an expert in that field, you know, having to uh, navigate really turbulent waters, you know, so that's how I got good at it. And I did that for years, you know, running crews and, I, you know, I bought one truck, then I bought another truck, then I bought another truck, started two crews, three crews. And then I found out where the money was really in my business, you know, because I said, oh, you're going about this all wrong, Dave. The money's not in installing and selling these fences. The money is in selling the product. So people were selling me the fences from a wholesale distributor, and I was putting them in. So, you know, minus my material cost and and my labor and my top margin came off of that. So then one day I'm going in to buy my fence off my distributor and there was two pieces of paper on the desk and one of them had my name on it and I was looking at it and there was two money figures on there. One was like, I don't know, like maybe $5,000 it said, but then on the other side, it said like 11,000. And I knew like I was paying $11,000 for the fence. Okay, so I'm looking at it and I'm starting to think, I'm like, wow, I'm wondering if that 5,000 is, 5, is what they paid for the fence and the 11 is what they sold it to me for. And they snatched a away and they said, don't look at that. It's, it's none of your business. And I said, you know, hey, I was just looking at it because it had my name on it. But then I started thinking to myself, I said, well, what if I can um, find a wholesale distributor, a wholesale supplier and get truckloads of this stuff? And so that's the route that I went. And that's what led me on the journey to what I have now, which is a 15,000 square foot warehouse. We have CNC machines, production staff, inside sales, outside sales, administrators. We got the whole nine yards there. We got a showroom and we tore a place out and an amazing operation right now. We got cutting edge, state-of-the-art CNC machines. And we just do a ton a ton of business and it's been an incredible journey figuring out the whole manufacturing process and the wholesaling and distributing and retail and e-commerce and you know so we're really just I'm I'm excited
0: yeah far out what a great story oh my gosh I have a question for you that very first fence that you put up did it last
1: you know what actually I was called back uh for repairs on that maybe two or three years later but the majority of it stood up but some of it i was like horrified when i came over and looked at it i was aghast i was like oh my goodness i I was like this is terrible so i brought a a team over there and we fixed it up we built new gates for them and they were like extraordinarily understanding because nowadays you know if somebody even has a nick on their fence they're calling you up like hey there's a little mark I seen, it's hard to see. I got to kind of look towards the left and into the light to see it. But I think you guys need to come over and repair it. So these people were extraordinarily understanding.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. And, and what about every, so you said every new fence that you didn't know about, you learned on the job and it took you a little longer. Did all those first ones um, prior to that initial first one stand the test of time?
1: Some of them, like things were just done completely backwards on them, like bracing and stuff like that. And, They're a small thing. So like the customers never really noticed them, you know, um, maybe a couple of them. Somebody said like, hey, I think you guys put these on backwards. And we said, oh, that's our mistake. We'll come over and fix it. But I was pretty thorough with, you know, learning about how to do them. And the thing that took the fear away from me was that I realized like, hey, as long as you get the post and level and to the string line and tight, you can build any fence. You know, I just sort of ran with it.
0: Yeah. Right. Wow. And, and it sounds like you've got some really strong, mad skills when it comes to relationship building. You you went into your office, you quit your job, everybody laughed in your face, and then you went door knocking. And I'm sure like anyone who does any kind of door knocking gets a lot of doors slammed in their face. So let's talk about that. How did you, how did you kind of keep going? Um, How did you stay resilient when people, I, I no doubt were probably knocking you back?
1: oh yeah i tell you what i built my bones in door-to-door sales i traveled around the united states doing door-to-door sales as a as a young man as a teenager and you know i've been through the ringer like i was everywhere in las vegas california arizona like every single state doing it so i've had doors slammed in my face i've been assaulted I've been spit on. Um, wow, uh,
0: the, oh my gosh. the whole
1: nine yards. So to me, it's a game. Like when I go to the door, I know all the rules to door-to-door selling. I know all the slap methods and what way to stand and how far to stand away from the door and the psychology of it. how an eye contact in my hand to direct the re- direction where I want it to go and to place things in their hand that I want them to see. You know, so when somebody goes to slam a door, because you know, in door-to-door sales, they say, hey, I'm not interested. And what you're, you get that and I always can cut them off and break the ice. It was a game to me to see how long I could keep them talking. Hey, sir, sorry to disturb you. I apologize. I know you don't have a lot of time, but I just want to tell you who does your lawn. It looks like a golf course man. that looks amazing, you know, and I would throw them off guard and I would just see how long I could keep them talking. And I'm telling you, sometimes I would get five to six no's, but then I would get a yes. Because I would soften them up and they say, hey, you know, this guy's a human being. He's not out there committing crime. He's just trying to make a living for his family or whatever he's trying to do. I kind of actually like this guy because you know in sales, you get that feeling like when somebody's trying to sell you something, all of a sudden somewhere is in there, you get this feeling like, hey, I really, I really like him. I want to help him out. I hope his price is reasonable to where I can afford to buy his services. I really like this guy. So that's all sales is because people people buy with emotion. I knew that the method was to get them to like me, to want to help me out. So door-to-door sales, I mean, that's what started it all for me. That's what got my business going. And we still do door-to-door sales.
0: Wow. So how many door-to-door sales did you personally do? And how many jobs did you do on your own before you were able to buy your first truck and, I guess, get your first uh, hire?
1: Yeah, so I had no vehicle. So what I would do is I would take my little pad case with me and my flyers that I made up and I would go just canvas neighborhoods and I would keep track of which ones that I canvassed. At that time, I didn't know anything about the software like like sales rabbit and things like that. We can canvas. So, I mean, I knocked hundreds of doors and I would get sales every day and I would schedule them. So not having a truck or a license you know, sometimes people would say, hey, you know, where's your where's your truck? And I'd say, oh, it's parked around the corner. I did not want them to let it know that I didn't have anything and that I was living in a, a shared apartment, sharing a bathroom in a kitchen, sleeping in a, a, a room with multiple people. I needed to portray that I was a big company and it, it really worked. So I did multiple jobs by myself. I had all kinds of methods where I can use clamping and 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 different ways to rig posts up so they would stand level. While I was pouring concrete in them, and I would work from sun up to sundown. I had spotlights and everything else that I would use to do the job on my own. And it wasn't that long before I was able to hire somebody.
0: Wow, like like a year or six months or
1: maybe maybe a couple months. I was a pretty pretty quick start on you know with that kind of thing. Like I knew the concept. Like I knew that I was the boss. And I knew that uh, I had to hire other people to do the work so I could do more work. And I had to get more teams. So pretty quick, like in maybe, a, you know, six or seven months, I had three crews going.
0: Wow. Wow. Three full crews. And so when you were doing those first jobs, how did you get the materials there if you didn't have a car?
1: Yeah. So I would I would get delivery, you know, whether it was mulch or whether it was a pea gravel, I would set it up with the different local companies out here and say, hey, you know, I need a yard of this dumped. And they would come and dump it. And I would be there, I would push a wheelbarrow, a rake, a shovel. And the, we're talking in the very beginning before I actually got my license and then I was able to get a multicolored truck. So I would just have this stuff delivered and I would show up with the tools.
0: Wow. Wow. You said you were living in a house with multiple people. Let's talk about that.
1: Before I started my company, this was in 2014, the very beginning of 2014. I was homeless. I was a hopeless drug addict sleeping in a cemetery. Wow. Uh, Sleeping in a cemetery in the city. And I remember, you know, I had had gotten sober and um, I was in prison before and they let me out. And I remember it was cold outside and I, I went to a local park. And I was said, you know, maybe I could sleep in that slide. And I went to the slide, and there was somebody like, yo, man, that's my slide. They were in there. So there was people already sleeping in the slide and sleeping in the park. So I didn't really know my way around the area that well. And um, I remember just walking up the street, and I didn't want to drink or use drugs again. And I remember some prayer just sort of, like, came out of my mouth. Like, I wasn't thinking about it. I was like, oh, God, please, I need a miracle, you know. And so I just sat it. I just kept walking. And, you know, I found a cemetery. So I started sleeping in the cemetery. Well, one day I was walking past this place and it was called Life Beacon Foundation down in York. And I remember I seen they had a gym on a loading dock and I love to lift weights. And I just wanted to talk to somebody about that gym and say, hey, is there a way that I can use that gym? Because I could tell it was a private thing. You know, it was like an outdoor type of deal. And, and I remember the guy, Bob, said to me, he goes, he goes, where are you coming from? After I asked him for the gym, I said I'm coming from the cemetery. He goes, "You live in a, a cemetery?" I said, "Yeah," and I had this little bag of clothes with me. It was in a grocery bag, and he goes, "Is that all your clothes?" And I said, "Yeah," and he goes, "No questions asked." The guy goes, "Okay, you can sleep in that house over there. We have a room on the second floor, the at the very end of the hallway." And it was a Skills House for like teaching men like how to live again that were out of prison. But what was crazy is that that house was right there in that specific location when I said, God, I need a miracle. That house was right across the street from me when I said that. And then I ended up there. And so that's what it was. I was There was another guy in my room that was like the size of a bathroom. And I started my business out of that room.
0: Wow. Wow, that's amazing. So this band was just very generous and, and gave you yeah. this place to stay. Amazing and
1: actually where that gym was is my loading dock now for my warehouse.
0: Wow. Wow, so you took over the building?
1: I took the whole entire – because I didn't know that they owned that building, so there was four other companies. There was four companies total in that building, and I ended up taking over that whole entire uh, warehouse. So all all those other companies are moved out.
0: How long after that do you – slept in that house? Did you take over that building?
1: in 2015, I moved out of Life's Beacon Foundation. I got my own one-bedroom efficiency. And then in 2016, I may I always maintain contact with that place. I was always forever grateful for what they did for me. And they said, Dave, if you want, they said, you could park your trucks behind that building. They said, just don't block the rear garage door because there's a tire company in there. So I said, OK. So we started keeping our trucks back there. And then there was a little lean-to shed back there i mean it was an industrial shed like industrial built but it was small and they said hey if you want you could clean that shed out and you could put some of your tools in that shed and i was like super happy i'm like wow i was like i could put concrete in here and i could put pole diggers in here and i could put rakes and shovels this is great you know so then i got that and then one day the tire company moved out of the garage and they said hey you know you want to rent that you want to rent that out i said yeah so all kinds of things started opening up. That's when I got my idea to uh, start retailing fence. I remember that I bought a CNC machine that was just, just enough space to fit in there. And we started CNC routing and, and making our own posts and different fence designs. And we learned how to use geometric code. And you know we figured out this CNC machine, which is extraordinarily hard because it was ancient. And so that machine paid for the other part of the building which was uh, uh, like a 10,000 square foot place. So there was a um, power washing company that was getting evicted. And they said, hey, would you be able to afford this? And at the time, there was no way. But I said, yeah, I could afford it. And so I just sort of moved in there and, and you know, I just winged it. And so that gave me two offices plus that big production floor. Then a construction company was getting evicted and they said, hey, do you want this? Can you afford this? I said, yeah. So we turned that into a showroom. And then a plastics company that was making plastic bags for packaging, they went out of business. And they said, hey, can you afford that? Yes. They left. And we opened up the walls in there knocked them down. And and there was another office in there. And so by uh, 2020, we had the whole entire
0: building If you love the Rebel Love Podcast, you can support us by leaving a review on the Apple Podcast platform. This helps us reach more people each month and bring more episodes just like this one. You can also be entered into the draw to win a free pass to the Let Love Begin Summit. 21 speakers on letting go of your ex and learning to open your heart again. Simply leave us a review on the Apple Podcast platform, email us a screenshot to support at rebellove.com and you'll automatically be in the running to win. We give one free pass each month. So how did you afford it if you couldn't afford it?
1: (laughs) You know, in in business, you just got to take risks. In in my world, you can't do the math because the math will scare you. Like, that is way too much. How am I ever supposed to afford that much overhead? $34,000 a month in overhead. That sounds insane, but you can't do the math. You just got to go for it, you know? And I just went for it. I said, whatever I got to do, I'm going to do. I got to crank sales up. I said that the we named the office the war room because that's where we went in and we did war it was all about sales it was uh, all about uh selling um, wh- whatever fence companies we could out there uh drawing in people from the public to come and look in our showroom and we just we did it and we did it in abundance wow. and we're still doing it in abundance
0: So how did you buy your first CNC machine if it if so the first so CNC
1: machine the first one that we bought like we didn't even know if it worked the people didn't know if it worked the guy was like hey you know my father used to use this and passed away i'm pretty sure it works and and he wanted a lot of money for it first i said no and i waited a few days i called the guy back i said let's talk about it so i tried to whittle him down a little bit he wasn't budging so we agreed on the price it was like all the money i had so we really took a big risk so then we got it in there we had to put it together. And it was like extraordinarily old. It was one of the old computer screens. there it was like a green screen on there. you know the computer was super slow. It was like a, the screen was like a bubble. It was insane and and we didn't even know how to like get it to move or anything like that. so anyways, long story short, we found out it runs on geometric code, which is a numerical code. So we had the program in every single movement that it would do, how fast it would spin, in what direction the the router would spin, um, X, Y, Z components uh, to the left, to the right, um, reverse, forward, jogging, up and down. And so it was literally thousands and thousands of lines of code that we would have to meticulously put in there to make a couple cuts in a piece of plastic And so a CNC machine that wasn't designed to cut fence, we built it and made it cut fence. And it was extraordinarily difficult, but we learned a lot about it. Once we actually got a modern one, like they were offering like to send their techs over to train us. We're like, no, we're like, we're good. Like we had it up and running the same day and cutting all the programs. We're like, we got this. (laughs) Wow. much easier. Yeah.
0: All right. So how did you keep going? I'm sure there must've been times where it just would have been too much for you. How did you keep going?
1: You know, um, like I said, it, it was one of those things where, where like, listen, I was either going to do this or I was going to die trying to do it. So there was never like, Hey Dave, just back out, go back to work. If that doesn't work for me, you know? And so things would get very very difficult and you know fear starts to creep in like anybody that has a company that's going around like oh man you know I can't do this and then what are all the people going to say that all the people that said that I couldn't make it they're going to be celebrating they're going to be popping champagne bottles they're going to say Dave we we told you come on back down to our level and I just changed my perspective on it because for me I didn't have anything to lose. there was no further going down for me you know, what was I going to do? I was going to have to, you know, tell them, Hey, you know, I can't afford the $120 a week on the rent. You know, I put the fear has to take a back seat in business. Fear is not healthy in business and you have got to take risks. And I'm telling you to this day, sometimes I put it all on the line.
0: I know. I, I mean, you saying that you gave all your money for that first CNC machine. I was like, you built this thing and that all your money went on this one machine. Yeah. That's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy gamble, but I guess that's why you're here now, and in such a short amount of time, relatively. Like, how long has it been since you were sleeping in that cemetery to now? Eight years. And where, where did the, when you were sleeping in the cemetery? When, when you were working at the job you quit to start this company, where was where did that fit in? Was that before you went to prison?
1: So I I moved to York, Pennsylvania, and I had come from a, a rehab. And they just sort of sent me up here. I didn't really know where I was. Well, it wasn't long before I got in trouble and I went to prison. And so I got out in February of 2014. And when I got out, I didn't know anybody up here. I didn't have no family in York. My mother lived in New York. My brother was in Baltimore and I I had no phone. I didn't even know anybody's number. So when they let me out of jail, they were just sort of like, "Okay, see you later." and they just like literally like kicked me out of there at I think it was at midnight with no
0: support, nothing, nothing wow nothing.
1: I just i like literally like walked from the jail and was looking for a place to sleep,
0: Wow, and that's when I landed
1: oh, on the um cemetery, and you know I had been in so much trouble before you know, before all this. And, and, you know, I did close to 10 years in prison altogether. And I was just addicted to drugs, you know. And something happened that last time the cops had tackled me. They took me down because, of course, I wasn't going willingly. And something happened in that cop car. And I don't know what happened, but I just felt like I was done. I said, okay, I'm done with this. this is I'm never coming back here again. So I, I started changing in prison. You know, I was helping people, I was tutoring people for their GEDs, you know, I, I followed a strict regimen, um, uh, uh, discipline, exercise, diet, I would work myself spiritually, mentally and physically every single day, and so when I got out and went to the cemetery, I was prepared. I wasn't like, oh man, I gotta go to I was like, listen, I'm so happy to be out, I will do whatever it takes, I don't care what my situation is, I will sleep in the gutter if I got to and I'll be happy you know, and, and I was just determined to to do the right thing.
0: And then how did you get that job that you quit? How did you get that first job?
1: So I got that through a temp agency. Um, The guy, Bob, who owns Life Speaking Foundation, he put me in with this place called Master Staffing and they let me in as a temp at the tire service and they really liked me. So they bought the contract out with the temp agency and they put me on there. So basically I would, um unload trucks, tractor trailers of tires um every single day. They were really big tractor trailer tires like for 18 wheelers, and and that's what I would do every single day. And I did it the best of my ability. And
0: and how long were you at that job for?
1: I was at that job for probably seven months.
0: And then you decided you're gonna start your own thing? Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is this yep. is such a great story. So yeah, okay. Yeah. It is. So so okay. So let's flash forward. You're in this building that you initially slept in next to the cemetery. You bought the CNC machine. You gambled all your money on the CNC machine. It paid off. You expanded. Then you bought another CNC machine. When did you, you said you've got four kids and a wife. When did you meet your wife?
1: So I had a really good friend. His name's Nook. And me and him were just wrenching on his car all the time and putting, he was in all this aftermarket stuff and, you know, I, I'm really into that stuff, but you know, he's my friend. So whatever he's doing, I'm going to do. And, and he says, Hey, Dave, he says, um, let's go out and grab something to eat. So we're arguing about where to go. And I'm like, Oh, this place is this. And so we, we, we land on this diner. Right. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we go to the diner, we sit up at the bar and, you know, we start ordering. And this lady came out, Holly, who is my wife now, um, you know, and she's, she's serving us and, She's talking about, you know, I'm big into working out. She's talking about working out, showing her muscles and all that stuff. And I'm like really impressed. I'm like, wow, she's serious, you know, and she had all these goals and stuff. And anyways, you know, I leave a nice tip. I'm always a big tipper. I wasn't doing it because I was attracted to her. I just, I like giving good tips. So I'm driving home and I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back up. I'm going to go back over there and find out more about her. So the next day I go back over and I come in a restaurant and they seat me, and the one girl's like, I'll be your servant. And there's Holly. She yells across the restaurant and says, that's my customer. I figured it was because of the tit. You know, so anyway, she takes that over, and she's serving us, and I hear her talking to her friends over there, and she's talking about, like, this bucket list she got, which I'm like, oh, wow, she's got goals. And then I hear her say that one of the things on her bucket list is skydiving. And so I had done several jumps already, and... When she came over. I said, You want to skydive? She said, Yeah. And I said, Well, let me get your phone number. So she gave me her phone number and I said, Hey, I'll set it up. If I set it up, will you go with me? And she's like, Yes, I will. So a couple of days later, I knew just who to call. I know these guys, we jump there all the time. We we get on the airplane, which is like a like a cargo plane. So they open up the side door. It was much nicer than the ones I'm used to jumping at. It. So Everybody in the airplane is super nervous on a skydive. Have you ever been skydiving?
0: I have. Yeah, it was terrifying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you (laughs) know, only once, only once. (laughs) Everybody's like silent and like stiff. And (laughs) and there's Holly yelling and screaming. She's like, Woo! She's like, Come on, let's go. And she is just ready. And I'm like, Who is this girl? (laughs) You know, and like she goes, like pulls the instructor out of the airplane, does a flip and She uh, jumped and I'm like, man, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm like, she's awesome. So, you know, we started hooking up here and there and go out to eat. One thing led to the other. and You know, um, I moved in with Holly and, you know, um, we ended up getting married and we have four beautiful kids and a puppy now. In the beginning, we're like, okay, we're going to take this real slow. Like we're not going to label anything. Next thing you know, she's pregnant, and, and and we're getting married, and this big wedding is getting planned, and it's just it's just how it happened. It was you know, uh, it was
0: crazy. Wow, and and she's still got girls.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got um, we we got we got three girls and one boy too.
0: Wow, wow, awesome, awesome. How old are your kids?
1: Uh, one year old, two year old, five year old, and seven year old. And yes, Polly has a lot of goals, <laughs> and one of them is being an extraordinary mother.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm I'm sure she is an extraordinary mother. Mothers are pretty amazing people. Wow, what a story! This is just this is just insane. I I love this story. Um, I, I remember we met because we were in a Facebook group together y- years ago, and I was working for the company around the Facebook group, and you had this great story. Where you were getting customers because you were buying these kind of like toy trucks like Tonka trucks and filling them with like lollies, um, you call them candies in the states, we call them lollies yeah. here, and so you had this great marketing tool and and we were just like, "Oh my gosh, this is such a great idea, and we were really fascinated by it. Can you tell us a little bit about about that
1: i didn 't know anything really about marketing, and I was sort of getting my leads through a lead generation site and One day, the lead generation site, we had a falling out because they found out I had a criminal record. Now, even though I had nothing but top ratings with everybody, they like instantly terminated my account. Um, And that's, yeah, they just threw me right off. Like if you had any criminal record whatsoever, you are not allowed on these sites for whatever reasons. It's like a screening thing, I guess.
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that's relevant. (laughs)
1: It was well, you know, because I guess maybe you're a contractor and you're in other people's houses. I don't know. Yep. Nope. Yep. So anyways, they cut me off cold turkey. And I was friends with some real estate agents that I had met doing work. One of them was an expert in marketing. And I reached out to him and he's like, Dave, he's like, I feel like it's my purpose to help you out. And I said, Okay. He started to help me out in different ways to market. And all of a sudden I got this idea. I was like, okay, these real estate agents are connected with a lot of people that are buying homes, that need work done. And I said, how do I get in front of these real estate agents? And then how do I get them to know me? How do I get myself to stand out? So I knew I wanted to give them something, to bring it like a gift, but I didn't know what it was. So I'm just sort of like walking around Walmart aimlessly in there. And I said, when I see it, it'll come to me. Then I seen these little Toy Tonka trucks. And I said, it was a dump truck on the back of it. They were cheap. They already had some of my company logo colors on them, and I'm like, "This is great!" And then I went back into the office section, and I found the little business card holders. I got a hot glue gun and a hot stick. It was just coming together, and and I was able to print these little tiny labels. I could put my company name on it, logo and logo and HIC contractor number. So I I fitted these trucks out, and I filled them with candy, and I would go to all. I made a list of all the real estate agencies that I knew. And I went in there and I just, I I hit him with the spiel, you know, like I did door to door. I said, hey guys, I just want to, could I drop this off and put it right on their desk? And they'd say, oh yeah, sure. i make this candy in it for the office, for whoever. And I had my business cards in there. and, And, you know, the first time around, nobody really said nothing. You know, nobody said nothing. So I come back around again. You know, I kept the list of them all and say, okay, I see you guys got a lot of the mints left and you guys are running low on the Reese's. How about I'll, I'll take the mints out of here and I'll give you guys all Reese's cups. So I was interacting with all the different real estate agents. And eventually after like the fifth or sixth time, they'd say, who, who are you exactly? What What do you do? They wanted to know about me. And so they started recommending me to all their clients and the, the work was extraordinary. Like we, our phones were blowing up all the time, you know, and it worked really, really, really well. And it works really, really well now too, because especially in this market where everybody's buying and selling their homes, you know, um, one of the first things they ask is, Hey, do you know, uh, you know, I got a dog and kids, this house doesn't have a fence. You know, anybody that, that puts fences in and I'm always in front of them. Our cards are, are, our catalogs are there. Our trucks are there. our Candy's there. So they're going to say future solutions. Here's his card. Call him up. You know, and so that's a big source of our revenue is from real estate agents. You know, you yeah. got to think outside of the box.
0: Wow. Wow. So, so you, you bought a, a Tonka truck, you got a card holder, you hot glue gunned it on, and you filled it with candy. How much did one of those trucks cost you? Around 30 bucks. And how many did you distribute to the real estate agents? Sixteen. So, okay. So, how much is that? I'm, I'm, I'm really bad at math. So let's sixteen
1: and thirty is three hundred, uh, like four eighty.
0: And you probably got hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of business.
1: Yeah, I mean, just one fence is gonna, you know, is gonna generate, you know, around four, four to five thousand dollars in revenue
0: and take home. Wow. And just from building these relationships with these stage agents and using this like Tonka truck as your leverage, I just feel like that's just so genius. <laughs> it's no, so amazing. It's, it's great. And I want to
1: tell you something that's working really, really good now is we actually made door hangers and, and they got QR codes on. They're super smart. They're right to the point. People know it's about fences. And we actually found a way to find all these new communities that were just built. And so we got guys on the new Ninebot Segways, right, they got 30-mile range on them. They go 14 miles an hour, and they roll up on the Segways and put door knockers right on people's house. And if we're in a neighborhood already building, which we're building in a lot of neighborhoods, we have eight crews going at a time out there installing. They knock on the door. They spiel them. It's a coupon. And I'm telling you, so you know. let's say we do one house in a community, we end up probably getting 12 or 13 other houses like that.
0: Wow. So one of the pe- people from your crew goes out and door knocks and puts those One swings. of our salesmen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and the thing is they can cover 18 miles of houses on that Segway and not even break a sweat on that wow. There's, You know, they're not, they're not walking and it, it's, it, you know, sales is a numbers game.
0: Uh, okay. So out of this incredible story, I mean, it sounds like you did a heck of a lot of relationship building that really, you know, you just really knew how to talk to people and be generous with people and people were generous with you in return, which was, which was amazing. But what do you think was the kind of number one thing that really moved that needle forward?
1: The, the most important thing and being in business is your relationship with your staff, because your staff is your company. My turnover rate used to be horrible. You know, I would hire people from anywhere. It's from, you know, uh, soup kitchens to rehabs. Uh, It didn't matter if they, they were just, at first, it was just like a transaction to me. I expected X amount of work out of them. You know, we paid them cash, all this stuff. So I got so sick and tired of everybody just quitting. We were getting screwed all the time. There were, sometimes we get two, three people quit at a time. So I started realizing that, I got to really build my relationship with my staff. And so, you know, I started working in different benefits and, you know, insurances and paid vacations and paid holidays and bonuses and stuff like that. But what really changed everything was this, is that we started a, not a weekly, not a monthly, but a daily meeting. And, you know, it's just a 15 or 20 minute meeting In the morning where our whole entire team is in the office i'm there for this meeting it's not like your regular staff meeting like you know hey did everybody uh get their quotas today and is there you know anything that we need in the production floor it's it's like it's a layback meeting where we really care about the people like hey how was your weekend you know anybody got anything successful they'd like to share today you know, and it's more like a motivational thing. And, and we talk about our goals and, and where we're going. And, you know, some people got weight loss goals. Um, some people got goals to get a new house. Some people got goals to get a new car. Some people got goals to be a better father, to be a better mother, to be a better husband. Um, some people got goals to control their spending, you know, and things like that. And, and we got a goal board in there and, you know, we go over, we hold, we hold each other accountable. And, it's it turned into a real family setting there where, you know, they're just not a transaction. You know, they're a part of our family and, and, and the guys that are in our company and the ladies that are in our company right now know that it's not a dead end job, that they have a real opportunity to be sitting at the top. And they see our company just exploding going from 300,000 a year to a million a year to 2 million to 4 million to winning all these awards. And the atmosphere is, is charged. It's one of, I don't have to push them and say, you need to be doing more. They do more because they want to do more and because they get recognized uh, for doing more, you know, and we just have every million that we hit. We have a staff party. I let them pick it out. We did a smorgasbord then we did paintballing uh, uh, at a, you know, these are paid for events. The whole day is paid for. Um, uh, and then we pay for the whole entire event. Uh, we do donations. We donate whole entire fences, like the install and everything the families in need. And we let them, you know, go through all the people that send inquiries in, pick somebody out, pick three candidates out and then vote on one. So if wow. it's like a really expensive fence, like 600 feet of fence, it's going to be like a 20-some thousand dollar job. I can't let my emotions get involved in it. That's what the guys picked out. And so they're a part of it. And we really vetted new staff members. I'll tell you that right now. We made it take disc assessments, personality tests, um, ran their criminal backgrounds, um, checked their references. If they pass due to first interview, they get a second interview where key members of the staff are present. And what they're there for is to see like, hey, okay, these guys got the skills. That's why they're back for the second interview. But the most important part is how are they going to interact? What's their attitude like? Are they a fit? Are they part of our culture or not? Because we don't care how skilled they are. If they're not part of our culture, they're not going to be there. And so my staff has the final say on who... Actually gets a job there, and it's worked out wonderful. I might have had one person quit, you know, in the last year. You know, it's working wonders because they're the backbone. I let them know, like, hey, listen, you're the backbone in this company, and and you guys are the face, and you're doing a good job. And I'll tell you what, it's bought me a ton of freedom. You know, I mean, I leave after the meeting, and I go do other things. Sometimes I'm working on the business. Sometimes I'm on a trail, hiking. Sometimes I'm at the casino. Sometimes I'm just driving around. Sometimes I'm, you know, meeting with vendors, but my phone don't ever ring. You know, they got everything under control. And so that's been a key part of my uh, expansion and my growth has been my staff and my relationship with my staff, you know, and I I do love them.
0: And what prompted you to realize that that was a weak point? Like, obviously, you said people were leaving, but like how did you decide to treat them differently and to get a different result? Did somebody help you? Did you have a coach or?
1: Yeah. You know what? I do have a business coach now and he has helped tremendously. He came towards the beginning of our expansion and he was just sort of a guy that was dropping by and he was doing drip sales is what he was doing. He's real God oriented And so he was like, you know, Dave, how are you bringing God into this? How are you using your company for the benefit of God? Um, and to help other people. And I started thinking about, it, like, you know, I am in a position to help other people. And I am in a position to spread the word, uh, you know, of God that that I believe that made the change in my life. Um, and that's just for me personally. That's not, not pushing on anybody. And so that's what started these meetings. The meeting sort of, like, morphed and transformed into what it is today.
0: I love this story. I just think the story is Incredible. Um, can I amazing. ask you do, you, do you hire people with criminal records now if they pass all your tests?
1: You know, um, yeah, we do. Um, it depends what's on our criminal record, though.
0: Uh, David, this has been so amazing. I feel like this is just such a great story. Um, if people want to find out a little bit more about you, how can they do that? Where can they get in touch with you?
1: You know, they can um, uh, go on our website, which is www.futuresolutions.pro they want to find out about us we have a a facebook page and hey if they ever want to um, call me up and chat and ask for advice i'm okay with that too i love helping other people if you want to put my phone number in there you could do that i don't know how that works but i'm always there to offer advice and whatever kind of coaching um that i can i can do
0: we'll we'll put your website up for sure (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank you so much for being here um and for anyone listening you can find all of the information about this episode and more at uh, rebellove.com forward slash ep49 david thank you so much for being here it has been an absolute pleasure this has just blown my mind what a journey of the human spirit i i just love this story thank you so much for sharing and being here with me
1: thanks for having me on the show
0: Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love podcast, the podcast about love, sex, and relationships. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast. Normally I plan, kind of plan these out with questions, but I really got such a good vibe from you. I was like, oh, we could just wing it. Yeah, I
1: mean, I'm I'm used to just winging it, so it works out perfect. Yeah, uh, for me, <laughs> I didn't really rehearse anything. I mean, I came in here with a broken microphone, and yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally, totally.